Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Quality Matters. Kyle's trying to jump the gun and steal my show. I'm Darcy. I'm Kyle. And we are pleased to be back with Pardeet Sangha that we talked to. No, he's mad. Okay, pause it. What did you not like? Okay, I guess we're going to keep going. (laughs) Kyle was (laughs) okay i think we're just gonna keep going i don't know kyle didn't like something i said but it's okay all right this time we're going to talk about uh processes for teams oh and i want to pause and say thanks again to the canon houston for having us today as uh, we go ahead and talk about processes for teams with Purdy. So what do you got for us? Oh, yeah, great. So <laughs> I, I guess we might as well just jump right in. So the, yeah. the processes for, so I, I'm Canadian, so I say processes. So this is going to be interesting. Oh, okay. I, always, okay. I always get made fun of by my, my U.S. clients and friends out there. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, processes are so important. And I, and I learned the importance of processes through obviously, uh, I mean, we talked about me being in the corporate world. I, I was in charge of uh, operations. I was also in charge of marketing and sales. But one of the biggest things that we took a look at was really how do you how do you make more money in business, and how do you become more effective? And the most important thing I could say is the difference between an average performing business and a very high performing business is processes. It processes. Because the more streamlined you are, the better you can make the processes and the better and more effective you actually are at making profit. And so that also includes, it's interesting because we don't think of having as many processes for our HR teams or our employees, but they Mm -hmm. are so important. And and it's interesting because I, I... have studied with uh, or trained at Toyota, Nissan, and Japan in in uh, Japan. Sorry, Toyota, Nissan, and Honda in Japan, and been on site in their locations to see just how effective they are when it comes to their processes. And it is absolutely amazing. And the most important thing that they do is they focus on the processes for their teams as well, not just their operational component when it comes to putting together cars. Right. But how they work together as a team. Yep. Because the most important thing is if you take a look at what a team is meant to do, there is two ultimate objectives of a team. The first one is to get the job done. <laughs> and the second one, which most teams miss out on, is learning to get better at getting the job done. Yep. And those are two distinct differences because most teams, teams will get the job done. But a lot of them don't get better at it. And so in order to get better at it, you have to have the processes in place because you have to be able to measure. You have to be able to hold people accountable. And that all comes down to having the right processes because processes are objective and people are subjective. So when something doesn't go right, it's easy to blame a person and say, well, it's because of that person. It's because of the work ethic or they showed up late or they're just not happy. They're not engaged. (laughs) Right? Yep. Yes. But if you don't have a process behind it, you just can't, you can't, you can't pinpoint it because the, it's a lot easier to focus on the processes. And if everybody's focusing on the process, 
then you'll actually find out where the challenge is. Is it actually in the person or is it in the process? Otherwise, you're just guessing. Yep. So I want to ask you, when you worked with uh, those companies, Honda, Nissan, and Toyota, can you give us an example of a process they had for their team that they used? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, the one that really sticks out the, the most for me is they have a daily process called the, the, their daily Hansai, which is, uh, it means reflection. And what they do is they sit down either first thing in the morning or they sit down in the afternoon with their team whether it's a smaller team or the larger team, and they will say, okay, let's reflect now. What happened today that we did well? And what happened today that didn't we didn't do well? And what can we do to improve it tomorrow? And so that simple exercise, I implement this in every single team that I work with. And it just does magic because people are more open. It's a constructive team meeting. But people are on the same page because if you face a challenge today, you know how to deal with it tomorrow if you're actually having the conversation. Now, I know immediately folks are going to start to object to, well, we don't have that kind of time or it's too hard to get everyone together. Not saying I agree, but how do you respond to those objections? Well, it's either that or do you have time to correct people's mistakes or errors? Right? We don't realize that every time there's an error made or something that goes down the chain, it actually costs you 10 times more, whether it's time, energy, or resources to actually correct it. So that is just belief. It's just internal belief. If you put things down and actually, and here's a, here's a thing that actually changed my life, is really demand creates productivity. And so if you put the demand, the right type of demand on, you will actually get the productivity. So having an extra 10 minutes at the end of the day is absolutely doable. And yep. I can show because it's easy for people to say that. But if I were to sit down with people or managers were to sit down with their people and say, okay, let's look at what you do day in and day out. There's always 10 minutes that people can spare for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to ask you when it came to the teams that sat down at the end of the day, is this all teams across the company, or is it a certain level of team members that sat down? No, everybody within their own team unit, whatever that is, whether you're within the marketing team unit, the sales team unit, you're all sitting. Every single team is expected to sit down and actually have that conversation. That's awesome because we um, did an episode. I keep going back to this because I'm a teacher by trade. I've probably said it a hundred times on our podcast. And we did an episode where a major school district uh, went and achieved ISO certification. And that's what they talked about is once the employees' voices felt like they were being heard and it was safe to talk about how you felt, then things started to, morale started to Mm -hmm. improve. Yes. It's incredible to see what happens because first people, and it's natural, it's the change process. People object, they're wary. The first question is, what does this mean for me? Do I have to say something or is someone going to pinpoint my mistake? And when they realize that it's a constructive meeting, because the most important thing that you can do for your team is create a culture where there is what I call zero blame and 100% accountability. If you can do that and do that successfully, people will openly come out with their mistakes and say, hey, look, I screwed up on this. I would love to get some help in terms of how I can do it better next time. It's tough, but you can get there. Yep. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. Cause like Kyle said, I, I mean, I think if you try to say to a company, Hey, you're going to call a meeting every day, everybody's going to stop for 10 minutes. 
not only are the managers going to say, we don't have time for that, but then the employees are going to say, oh, another meeting. What's the point of this? Because so many, I feel like I could be wrong, companies and employees feel like it doesn't matter what they say. It's just a manager checking a box and saying, well, the process says we have to do this. We're going to meet, but nothing's really going to come of it. But I think the key to the success, from my understanding, at least if I were to implement this, um, is we just said is that it's all about uh, you know accountability. You know, I just finished reading Chuck uh, uh, Willenick's Extreme Ownership, and you know, it's it's all about taking the ownership for what you do. And if you can successfully do that, well, you you don't have to worry about someone else coming after you. And you know, I even talk to folks about that, and uh, when we do ISO audits and, and consultations, is I'll tell them like, look, if you know you've got this glaring hole in your system that you haven't been able to fix yet document the mess out of it. And when your auditor shows up, the worst you can do is say, hey, you've got a problem that you're fixing. Yes, absolutely. That's brilliant. And uh, I'd like to take one step back because, you know, we talk about uh, quality management in here. And you mentioned that the kind of two objectives of a team is, you know, one's to get the work done and the other is to improve, Um, you know, uh, not perfectly quoting, obviously, but um, continual improvement is, you know, the last section of the standard. And so many people just breeze right past that continual improvement piece. And man, I get some of the weirdest examples of what people consider continual improvement <laughs> in their uh, organization to be. And no one really understands how to show that they're getting better. Uh, but it seems like you've got a, a good... Um, you know, good system here. So I'd like to hear more about, about that piece of it. Yeah, continuous improvement is basically, it's the foundation. We talk about, so my, as I mentioned, my background's in innovation leadership. And everybody thinks that innovation is this crazy stuff. Like you come up with this new new stuff that no one's ever heard about. But part of innovation is also continuous improvement. That's what innovation is, is just doing something better, finding a better way to do it. And so employees, the first thing is creating that culture uh, of continuous improvement. This is where the Japanese outwork the North Americans day in and day out, is they have a culture of continuous improvement, not only in their business, but in their life. Yeah, That's what everything is about. How do we just do things better? And so having that culture is important. That's the first thing, is creating that culture of trust, openness, because every employee deep down inside wants to do their job the best way they can. They might not be motivated. They might not have the right tools. They might not have the right skills. They might not have the right management. But every person inside truly wants to feel like they're adding value. It's a human. It's an innate part of us as humans. So all we need to do is figure out how to unlock that within each team and each individual. Because once you do that, that's when you can actually get into continuous improvement. The mistakes that most organizations make is they talk about continuous improvement without creating the culture for it. Yes. That's where things go sideways. Yes. And then, you know, you'll get uh, these, uh, well, I get these really, sometimes very goofy continuous improvement lists. And, and, and they're literally just typed up, even on notepad and printed out 10 minutes before the audit. And just click on it. And that's just not, uh, you know, that's not what we're looking for. Um, you know, what I tell folks to to use as kind of examples of stuff is everyone has problems. We all have defects in our work. Um, just simply analyzing those defects at the end of the month 
to see, well, was there a, a pattern here? Was there a common day of the week that this stuff happened on? Because sometimes these weird little mundane things that you don't think about it really start to matter. Um, but I, I feel like people see the, the data collection piece as, as uh, almost as like another meeting. It's just one more thing that we have to do. They don't see the value in it. So I'm kind of curious how you help get people over those obstacles because seeing your, uh, you know, the uh, Six Sigma background and whatnot, I know you're involved in data collection. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to that, the most important thing to realize is before you put something else, this is a common uh, a common ob uh, objection that people give. Oh, you're going to give me something else. <laughs> something else I got to do on, on top of what I got to do. Yeah. So the first thing as managers, as leaders, we have to realize is if we're going to give someone something else to do, we have to take something away from them or show them that it's going to make their job easier so it takes something away from them. So you have to subtract before you add. So whatever you're doing, and so one of the techniques I use is I ask managers to go in and make their employees' life a little bit easier first, whatever it is. I, it doesn't matter. Maybe it's, um, excuse me, maybe it's giving them an extra break or maybe it's doing something else or taking a task away from them in some way, shape or form so that they feel like you're giving to them first before you, before you actually give them another task. So that is important and they have to understand. I think the most missed out thing in, across the board is most employees do not understand their value in terms of the overall process, the value chain and what they're contributing. And so if you can show that increasing or improving their, the way they're doing something today adds overall value to the organization, people want to add value. People want to be valued. As I mentioned before, it's a human innate. You cannot take that out of that. That's part of our social status is we want to feel like we're, we're valued in a group. So the way we go about it is the difficulty. And so people have to understand motivational tactics too, because everybody is motivated differently. One, and, and this comes down to personality assessments as well. And a lot of people don't understand their staff from a personality assessment. Two people will do the, will do a task, will complete a task, but for two totally different motivations. One person will do it because they might be a task oriented person. Because if you put a task on their desk, they have to do it. Otherwise they feel like they're totally incomplete. Like something's missing in their life. That's right? me. Right? I'm that person. Right? Yeah. And other people may do it because they just don't want to let you down. Oh, that's me too. And that's a different, <laughs> yeah. And that's a different motivation as well. So everybody has a different motivation. Other people, you can give them a task and they'll say, hmm, let me just figure out how I can be creative with this task because it's an internal challenge for them. They love challenges. And so find out what motivates your employees because what we do is we just throw everybody together in the same bucket and expect them to get the work yeah. done. It doesn't work that way. Well, and it's so funny. I keep, I'm, I keep connecting to the teaching. I just, <laughs> we did that episode so long ago, but I just wrote up a blog on it yesterday, but it's the same thing with teaching. You put all these kids in a classroom and it used to be, we're all going to teach them the same way. And now it is, it's changing to where we've got to meet each learner where they are. And it's the same thing in a workplace. Mm -hmm. All your employees are not the same. So we need to meet each of them where they are. 
I totally agree. Absolutely. And I love that you're a teacher because <laughs> teachers are awesome. <laughs> well, they thank you. I fun. haven't been for about six years, but that's my background. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. You have any more questions for him, Kyle? No, no. I think uh, I think that's good. I definitely want to want to do this again. Um, lots of lots of valuable information here. I know you, you talk about entrepreneurs, but you know I'm just seeing so many of the um, just the, the the middle management at these mm-hmm. organizations that I talk to. That this is all incredibly incredibly valuable information. Yeah, and it's great. And I guess my last piece is you talked about middle management. They're the, most of the time they're the ones that feel the most left out because they have the biggest pressures put on them. They're the ones that are getting the work done, but they don't have the insight. They don't have the communication. They're not in tune with, with the strategy, yep. what everybody at, at corporate office is doing. So they're, they literally are the meat in the sandwich. Mm-hmm. And so they require sometimes the most attention. I, I, yeah. I totally, totally, totally agree. And, uh, you know, I'll have to stop myself. <laughs> we, we will definitely have to do this, uh, do this again. All right. Thank you for your time. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you again. I, I definitely appreciate this.